My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. It's not an easy decision to make, but it's 100% the right decision to make. And, you know, and that's, that's challenging advice to give to people, and some people will take it and some people won't. Um, but what we hope to do more and more of is help people buy the right properties in the first place. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're back with Evan Thornley, social entrepreneur and executive chair at Longview. More than just an intelligent and socially attuned businessman, Thornley shares his unexpected secret talent and his vision for the perfect world along with the one property open secret he learned much later than expected and changed his entire life. Thornley stayed in the US for 8 to 9 years living in New York before making the trek west to Silicon Valley. As much as he enjoyed his time there, as his family grew, so did his desire to return home. Most importantly, our our three girls were growing up and we wanted them to grow up in Australia. Um, You know, I I don't like kids going to school through metal detectors on the doors to make sure no one's carrying a gun. That just wasn't my idea of what a childhood should be. Um, And and secondly, and this is unrelated to everything else, uh, from my days back back in the days when I was president of the Student Union at Melbourne Uni and one of the founders of the National Union of Students, uh, I was involved in student politics back in the day. Uh, I know at least half the people in the federal cabinet and the federal opposition now in federal parliament, they were all in student politics 35 years ago when I was. And so I, I, I had a passion to try and do something about Australian politics and I, I foolishly wasted 10 years of my life trying to fix the Australian Labor Party, um, which turns out is unfixable um, but <laughs> so that was that was that was my other motivation and I, I spent a lot of years when I came back uh, trying to do the setting up think tanks and trying to sort of get reform in that organization and uh, and we, you know did a, uh, hopefully some really worthwhile things particularly on the sort of new ideas front um, did a lot of work particularly about early childhood which is so critical and and then you know in the middle of the GFC when when uh, Eddie Groves and ABC Learning went broke, the biggest childcare company in the world. I sort of said, well, hang on a minute. These guys are basically crooks. Um, Why have we handed over the education of Australia's zero to six-year-olds, the single most important time in their lives, to these dodgy operators? Um, Who's going to buy this thing in the middle of the GFC? Answer, no one. Well, why don't we get the good guys together and buy it and put it into a charitable, you know, into a non-for-profit organisation that runs the thing for the good of the children? 
call me crazy. So that that is what became Good Start, which is, I guess, now the biggest social venture in Australia and still the biggest child, you know, early learning uh, operator in the world. And and Julia Davidson and the team there do an incredible job. And um, yeah, so I, I ended up on a bunch of worthy causes and then buying and selling properties. And, you know, property for me was partly a wealth preservation thing, right? I mean, I made my money in, you know, the very high risk world of tech. Um, and then you go, okay, well, how do I make sure that, you know, I don't necessarily want to roll that dice all the time again. And so, you know, I started trying to buy a few investment properties and trying to get some help to, because I realised I just knew nothing about it. I mean, it was surprising to me that, you know, I've been around, I know a lot of smart people and seen a lot of stuff, but I felt like I knew nothing about residential property and I was correct. I really did know nothing. Um, but then it was so hard to find someone else to help it. So, and and, and my, my friend and colleague, Anthony, was the same, uh, despite, you know, being a senior guy at KPMG for 28 years. So... Yeah, so that, that was really the genesis of looks of, of Longview was to say, uh, how, where do you go to actually get good advice and, and make good decisions? Um, and uh, that, that was six years ago. So, Upon his arrival back in Australia, he called upon his friend, a co-founder of a job search website called seat.com.au to help him get back into property. Paul was my lawyer when we started LookSmart and we were at university together. Um, so Paul put me onto his buyer's agent because I didn't know where to start. And he put me onto a terrific buyer's agent, very famous buyer's agent in Melbourne, a guy called Mal James. And I became Mal's best client for a while and he bought me a whole lot of property. Uh, thank goodness. So I learned early on the power of buyer's advisors um, and the value of that. Um, and so I've, I've been an advocate of, uh, if you'll forgive the pun, an advocate of buyer's advocates. Um, you know, I've been a believer as a customer in the value of buyer's advisors uh, for a long time. And I guess part of what we're trying to do at Longview now is to really bring that quality of advice to the other 98% of property buyers who currently don't get professional support in buying, buying their properties. After creating a lot of wealth through IT and wanting to preserve that wealth, property seemed like the next logical step. He reached a crossroads when he arrived but always knew which direction he planned to take. I've had money with money managers who invest in commercial property, both debt and equity, uh, and they seemed to know what they were doing and that was fine, so I had some money there. But I guess for me personally, like all the other mums and dads, you sort of want to invest in something you feel that you know and understand or at least can see, touch and feel. Um, uh, and I think the danger is that people think that because they live in a house and they kind of feel like they know something about houses, that, that therefore they know how to know something about investing in houses and, um, and, and, and that can often be very, very misleading. This, it's, it's so different to what everyone thinks it is. Thornley recognises that he's been plugged into too many of the big changes that have happened in the world throughout his career and has a talent for spotting potential dangers and jumping when the time is right. My first sort of, when I say serious, it was modest, but, you know, block of four apartments in, in a leafy street on top of the hill in St Kilda. Uh, I thought it'd be interesting to get on top of Airbnb and buy a small block of apartments and move them into Airbnb. Um, and that, that wasn't crazy. I mean, I really didn't know what I was doing, um, but it worked out okay um, until COVID. If I've got any skill in life, it's being able to see the future uh, usually ahead of most other folks. So the moment this thing was breaking, I'm like, okay, so my Airbnb's toast. We've got to move this into traditional rental and we better do it fast because there's going to be a flood of extra stock coming on the market and all the overseas students are not going to be able to come back and the kidneys are going to move back into with mum and dad and we're going to see vacancy rates exploding across Melbourne which is indeed what happened. So yeah, so yeah, pivoted hard early um, and, and 
at least got out alive on that on that so i guess from that point of view you had a bunch of apartments you were able to sort of just pivot very very quickly on that did you see any sort of um from all your other experiences of other property purchases any sort of aha moments that sort of just went oh wow you know properties the best way to go because with all your knowledge now you know i think the really interesting thing is um you know we moved around a lot and and made a lot of money and did a lot of things so bought and sold a lot of property often in relatively short time frames and, and having made a lot of money uh in silicon valley to be honest did a lot of it with cash um and so i really didn't get proper exposure to the real core discipline of property investing which is to buy you know, a good property that's going to have good long-term capital growth and then to make sure that the bank stumps up most of the money. <laughs> um, so I've only learnt about, you know, what uh, what they call in the trade levered equity returns um, later in life and, and not really understanding the power of leverage. I, I just couldn't understand actually why people invested in property at all because when you look at it on a yield basis, it's a rubbish investment. And so for the longest time, I couldn't understand why anyone invested in property because I really didn't understand how leverage works. And um, so the, the real aha moment completely for me was when, when, when I actually understood, you know, that all the upside is yours. Um, and so then, of course, the critical question becomes which properties are going to get that capital growth and which ones aren't. And then I think the second aha moment I had was as we started putting together a pitch deck to... Uh, high net worth families who don't invest in residential property to say, why, why is this the only asset class you don't invest in? And I started just doing some basic sort of McKinsey style analysis. And I didn't know, and most people don't seem to know, that Australia has close to the highest population growth rate in the world and has had for three generations. And Australia has almost without exception, the most concentrated population in the world outside of city states like Singapore or Monaco. You know, we have 52% of our population in just three urban centres, right? And so the enduring fact of Australian residential property are those two things. And for as long as we maintain close to the highest population growth rate and the highest population concentration in the world, then well-located urban land will remain a scarcer and scarcer asset, and it will continue to go up about 9% compound per annum. He then began to realize that every property market is a trade-off between capital growth and yield and that Australia has a fantastic capital growth market which makes way for a less than stellar yield market. And yet so many people, both mums and dads and even corporations with build to rent and a whole lot of other stuff are taking the thinking from America and Europe and other yield driven markets and applying it sort of derivatively in Australia and of course coming a cropper. Um, so once I understood that Australia of all places was all about capital growth and, and, and once I understood bank leverage, then I understood, okay, if I can make sure that I buy properties that do get, you know, 7% compound annual growth in the underlying asset, and then I get four or five times gearing by using the bank's money, suddenly I'm making returns on equity of 25, 28, 35% um, with relatively low risk. Hang on a minute. That's nearly as good as my private equity investments, and they're risky as hell. So, so then, you know, take I'm a bit slow, right? I'm 57. Um, I finally went risk-adjusted, well-bought residential property is easily the best investment in Australia. 
which is why the mums and dads are not stupid, um, and the institutions are actually. But um, but then, as we analysed our clients' investment performance, we found out that our clients, the four and a half thousand of them, on average, get nearly three percent lower capital growth than the housing market average, which means the vast majority of them bought the wrong assets, right? And so, whilst our clients you know, pay us about $11 million a year to do, you know, a first class job of managing their properties. We're probably arguably one of the best property managers in the country. Um, they're, I think, losing effectively in, in terms of lost opportunity, $100 million a year on those self-same properties because they bought the wrong properties. And so it was when we discovered that, that we said, gosh, we've got to get into helping people buy well. Um, because we, you can do the best job in the world of managing a property for a client, but if they've bought the wrong property, it will never be a successful investment for them. And then that's the heartbreaking thing for us is, is, is seeing clients coming to that, or unfortunately for us, having to, because you know our job is to help people make good decisions, having to give them the bad news that actually, unfortunately, this property is not growing, and even more unfortunately, waiting for the market to grow with you on it is not going to happen either. So, you know, that's a really tough conversation to have with people. Most people in this situation initially think that they have a great investment on their hands before making this realization, leading to a large churn in property investment. Hundreds of thousands of people every year exit property investment as an idea and never come back and get their, you know, no one talks about that because everyone spruiks all the upside, but, you know, they exit the industry because they, they get their fingers burnt really badly. And so what we try and do, we, we, we call it changing trains. And we say, look, you're on a really slow train here. There's no easy answer, but here's the best thing you can do. Get off at the next station, go on, walk up, go across, go down another platform and then get on a fast train. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to cost money to change trains. But when you get on that fast train within 18 months, you'll have made back all the money that you lost on that slow train. And by 10 years from now, you'll be so far into the distance it's not an easy decision to make, but it's 100% the right decision to make. And, you know, and that's, that's challenging advice to give to people and some people will take it and some people won't. Um, but what we hope to do more and more of is help people buy the right properties in the first place. So they never, you, you know, in my ideal world, you never sell a property, which is why real estate sales agents are gonna hate me. Um, in my ideal world, if you buy the right property, you never sell, right? You, you, you let it grow and you leverage off it and you buy another one. Uh, you know, that, that's what good property investing hopefully leads to. With data science about capital growth being so nuanced, it can be a very complex, hours-long discussion. However, Thornley can boil it down to its roots in just one sentence. Buy solid older dwellings on well-located blocks of land. Right. Land appreciates, buildings depreciate. You want as many cents in your dollar of investment going into the land and as few cents in the dollar going into the building as you can get away with. Making sure, of course, that that solid older dwelling is the right solid older dwelling, that it's either a good place for you to live if you're buying it as your home or a good place for good quality tenants to live. So not every solid older dwelling or not every older dwelling is solid in that sense. Um, and so that's the heart. That's how you don't make mistakes in property investment, right? is you buy the right solid older dwelling on a well-located block of land. Um, and by well-located, of course, that in some kinds cases means that it has long-term future development potential and other things. So, so that's the key. And so ironically, the renovator model is, is giving away the crown jewels for the sake of like a small tiara, right? 
the real wealth creation is going to be in the dirt under that old needing a renovation house. And yes, you can make some money buying it, renovating it and flipping it, though after, you know, you've got to do really well because you just smoked all your stamp duty for starters. Um, but but if you if you did nothing or very little, just make sure that's a good dwelling for, for you or somebody else to live in, then you'll make the money in the dirt. And you'll make the money in the dirt mainly with the bank's money and time. While location is certainly important, Thornley sees it as the second tier of important criteria rather than the first and foremost. The hot suburb thing or the hot region thing, right? This is an invention of property developers and real estate sales agents to sell whatever piece of crap they have to sell, right? I can show you wonderful properties and terrible properties in every suburb and every region in Australia. As we say to our clients, you don't buy a suburb, you buy a property. The most important thing is that we buy the right property. Of course, if you buy it in an area that is at a good stage in its life cycle, you'll get you'll do slightly better. Uh, and if you you know buy right at the top in the wrong stage in the wrong place, you'll do worse. Um, I'm not saying those factors are not relevant. I'm just saying they're not the biggest numbers on the page. The biggest number on the page is what's the quality of that location relative to where it is and how much of your money's going into the dirt versus how much your money's going into building. And I'm just, this, this is just facts, mate. Uh, you know, uh, we've analysed, I don't know what it is, 46 million property transactions or something like, you, 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 you know, and I'm summarising all of that back into a couple of sentences. But, you know, so the most important thing is that you buy a good property in a good location within its region. Of course, you want to be, you know, and the principal driver is going to be land value growth and the principal driver of land value growth is going to be population growth. So the the likely population growth of where you're buying is a critical factor. Um, but again, the major urban centres in Australia are all getting to a greater or lesser extent. Certainly, uh, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, South East Queensland, you cannot go wrong long term in any of those three markets. But of course, you know, right at this moment in the clock, would you rather be buying into Brisbane than Sydney? Probably. Right. But but like that's that's not how you make a decision. Diversity in aspects such as location and timing are important components when it comes to property as the unexpected can pop up at any time. You don't want all your eggs in one basket. And then that's part of the genesis for us about ultimately, I'd rather own 1% of 100 properties than 100% of one, right? Um, and, and make sure all 100 are really well bought and they're top quartile or top decile assets. Um, then I really can't go wrong. I've got liquidity, I've got diversity, I've got better quality underlying returns. I don't have the operating headaches of being uh, a landlord and everything that that entails. You know, to me, that, that, that will be the holy grail of the way um, property investment could become for a lot of people. And, 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 and my passion about that is not just that that would be a much better outcome for mum and dad property investors. My passion is, you know, where I come from, where most of the people I grew up with are renters. We have the most insecure, undignified rental system in the Western world. And, and it's not because all landlords are bastards. 5% of landlords are bastards, 95% of landlords are decent people, mums and dads in the suburbs. But having every single home owned by one person, usually the only the only investment property they have, they, they quite understandably and rightly need to have flexibility about what they do with it. Maybe they move back into it. Maybe their daughter's coming home from Canada. Maybe they want to sell it. And so everyone's on short-term leases. 
a lot of landlords, of course, at various stages are not well placed to say, fix that water membrane. What, that's $8,000 and what do I get for that? Like, I don't have that sort of money. You know, it's not that the landlords are at fault. It's that we created a system which is entirely this nexus between the individual landlord and the individual home and the individual tenant. And that turns out to mean that tenants get a rotten experience uh, and not because their landlords are bad people. So if, if we had these pooled arrangements where a thousand landlords owned one one thousandth of a thousand properties and we bought good properties, they would make a lot more money, they'd have a lot less headaches. And if we owned those properties for the long term, then those tenants could have secure, dignified um, tenancy and it would really feel like it was their home. So, so we think that that's, that's our long view of where we want to see housing in this country go in terms of investment properties. Most importantly, what we want to see is as many of those tenants as possible be able to afford to buy their own home. And that's why we're launching our shared equity to, to help them get a deposit so that they can become homeowners themselves. That's a very smart strategy. How, how would that actually impact as well rental? Because if, as we've discussed, uh, we know that equity or capital growth is the key driver for Australia. And that's where, you know, really where the wealth is in, in there. Because you, as you know, the rental returns are very poor, especially in Sydney and Melbourne, between 2 and 3%. Net can be, you know, after land tax can be nothing. Well, it can be negative, right? I've got clients who are negatively, I won't say they're negatively geared because they've got no debt on the thing and it's still negative cash flow. Now, they get good capital growth, but I'm like, boy, you can do better than this. And you go, why, why would we want to keep an investment like that? Because ultimately, what's the point of buying investment? I think it's for cash flow. You know, you want that kind of passive income because otherwise, why are you putting so much money and effort into buying this? But property doesn't turn out to be that way all the time. If you want steady cash flow, I mean, yes, over the long term, you can get that from a residential property portfolio. But honestly, uh, you would be better. Look, I've got plenty of places that I can stick my money and get 7 or 8% steady cash flow, right? Um, I wouldn't be buying a, a property portfolio to deliver me that. I'm buying a property portfolio to give me levered equity returns in the mid to high teens, right? Um, but it won't be good for cash flow, it'll be good for wealth creation. Coming up after the break, Thorny breaks down what he calls the long view conversation. But I'm sitting here going, hey, you get this lovely period home on, you know, 700 square meters, five minutes walk from Altona Station and the beach and, you know, that thing's going to double in value all day long over the next 10 years, tax-free. We delve deeper into his admirable sense of justice and how he used that and the way he grew up to create Longview. There's a reason we called it Longview, right? This is property. It's it's a long game. and um, But it's it's about homes. At the end of the day, residential property, you know, is about homes. He reveals the lesson he learned much later in life than his peers did, which led him to realize if he didn't know that, who else did it? Here's the thing, right? Like, I mean, you know, I've run a public company. I was at McKinsey with a whole bunch of Rhodes Scholars. Um, you, you know, I've worked with some of the smartest people in the world. No one had ever told me that. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey there. Over the years, I've built up a portfolio of properties and it's been great to see capital growth. But the challenge I face is the passive income has been quite poor, providing a net return of 3 to 4% per annum. I'd have to buy at least 10 properties or more to generate $100,000 per year. Now, if I had the cash to buy these outright, which I didn't, 
Then I need the help of banks, and as they wouldn't lend me more, I was stuck. This is when I start looking into alternative investments where I could use my equity and cash to generate 25 to 30% per annum returns and fast track my passive income goal. In a short space of two years, I've been able to achieve this goal and have tripled my passive income instead. Now, if you want to learn more on how I did this, SMS me your name and email address on 04-88-88-31-32 and I'll send you a free report explaining how I did it. Thornley will do anything he can for his clients, especially when he's had to inform them their property portfolio isn't performing as well as they would like. As a result, he's implemented a strategy to help improve people's situations. We started out in the very traditional side of the business to really get to understand how things work. Um, and so you know, I found the best property manager in Melbourne and, and, and bought that business and, and had her come and help lead our effort from there, Kat Stubbings, who leads our property management team, who's incredible. Um, and then we bought all the other really good property management businesses in Melbourne with all the other terrific female property management entrepreneurs that built those businesses. They're all working with us now. Um, so we started out, obviously, you know, if you don't do that part well, you don't, you haven't earned the right to have the trust of your clients on anything more significant. You know, if you can't, if you can't keep it tenanted with a, a trustworthy tenant to make sure the rent's coming in and make sure the property's properly maintained, then you haven't earned the right to the trust to tell people bigger things <laughs> about what they do. We think we've now earned that trust. Uh, our, our customer satisfaction numbers are, you know, 70 NPS points above industry benchmark. Um, and so now we're starting to pioneer internally what we call the long view conversation, which is where we, having earned the trust of our clients by doing a really good job in, in their basic need of property management, uh, or, or the basic need in, on the buyer's advisory front, we then get to know them and just start talking about where they are in their lives, what, what, what's happening with their properties, what, what help they need. With clients in situations where they knew they needed help but didn't know where to get it, they're often pleasantly surprised to find that help has been right there under their noses the whole time. So we're starting to have a lot of these long few conversations and they can end up anywhere. I, I had a client in recently you know, they were thinking, we think we might sell our, our rental property in Reservoir in Northern Melbourne. It's our old family home. We've moved somewhere else. And we just got, and you know, what do you think about that? I'm like, I don't know. It depends on your circumstances. Let's talk about it. It depends on the property. And we had a chat and we were talking. And it turned out it was clear that the most important thing in their life was their, their daughter um, who, who uh, had become a, a sole parent and, and their young grandson. And, and we got talking about, you know, schools and education stuff. It was very clear that Sadly, neither they nor their daughter would ever be able to afford to send uh, their grandson to a good private school. Um, and so I said, well, how about we do sell the property in, 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 in Reservoir in this case and, and use the money to help your daughter buy a home in a really good public school zone? And that way you'll, and that among other things, if you buy well in the right public school zone, it's actually a very good investment, but then you'll have secured the education for your grandson. Um, so, you know, that's not, <laughs> you know, that's the type of conversations we have. We had a client, uh, and sadly, so many of those wonderful clients, really hardworking people, you know, um, he's, a, he's a plumber, she's a teacher, uh, live in Altona Meadows, which is, you know, a modest suburb in, in Western Melbourne. Um, their daughters go to uh, Altona High, which is a good school, uh, and Altona proper down on the beach is a, is a much nicer location. Um, but they'd worked hard, put money aside and bought two investment properties, one each for one of the girls, I guess, hoping when they grow up, at least they'll have some of it. But they've been put into those properties by some spruker, 
and they were new build apartments in town. Guess what? They were going absolutely nowhere. You know, and I said, look, I know this is going to sound like really weird advice, but here's my advice to you. I think you should sell those two properties and buy yourself a really lovely period home in central Altona. Buy yourself a nice home to live in. His clients in these situations are often hardworking people who have put themselves last and their families first and sacrificed everything for them. So, it's not uncommon for them to see Thornley's advice as too good to be true. But I'm sitting here going, hey, you get this lovely period home on, you know, 700 square meters, five minutes walk from Altona Station and the beach and, you know, that thing's going to double in value all day long over the next 10 years, tax-free. You're going to get to live in a beautiful home. Your daughters are going to be able to walk to school. Yours is going to be the home that your daughter's friends come home to because you'll be closest to the school. Everything's going to work out great. Um, and you'll make literally twice the twice the money that you would have made by hanging on to these things that you feel that you need to hang on to because you're trying to do the right thing. So, you know, so that that's, I guess, that's what we call the long view conversation. It can end up in all sorts of different places. We don't expect, the client doesn't expect um, because... You, you know, every client is different. Every client's in a different stage in life. Every property is different. Um, and unless somebody's willing to take the time to really understand your situation and your properties and your needs, then they're in no position to give you advice about anything. And as we know, the only advice the real estate sales industry, all $16 billion of it, will ever give anyone is, did you know today's a great time to sell? <laughs> yeah, because your property's worth 32000 a commission to me. The data science used at Longview is mostly historical data and although it updates when a transaction occurs, the bulk of the advice is based on over 50 years worth of price data on individual assets. This remains as relevant as ever as it teaches us two lessons. There's a really important difference that many buyers, advisors and buyers advocates actually don't understand the difference on this and they're good people and they do great work but this is a subtle but really important point. Everyone knows and every good buyers advisor will tell you Let's take a simple example. Buying a side street, not on a main road. Side streets will always be worth more than main roads. And of course that is true. And of course they're nicer places to live. So I'm not disputing that for a moment. But on its facts, here's the thing. If the side street on average is a 20% premium to the main road today, and if 10 years from now, a side street is a 20% premium to the main road, then actually from an investment point of view, they've performed identically. Right, There's a difference between a price premium, what is worth more than something else today, and a growth premium, what is going to grow faster than something else over time. They're different questions. And most people, including many in the industry, um, confuse a price premium of what's going to be worth more today with a growth premium, what is going to grow faster. And so... Um, for example, in good public school districts in Melbourne, you get a price premium. You often get you know, 20% more on one side of the road than the other because it's in or out of the school zone. I'm sure it's true in, in many other states. Okay, And so in and of itself, that's not necessarily an investment reason to buy. I, I think, I think you, as an owner-occupier, if you can get your kids into a good government school, like that's the, easily the most smart transaction you'll ever make because the education will be just as good and cost you nothing in after-tax income and you'll make good capital growth on your property. However, as it turns out, that price premium has been growing in some school districts. In the Glen Waverley Secondary College District, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you paid a 15% premium to be inside the district versus outside the district. 
Now you're paying a 40% premium to be inside the district and outside the district. And so while Glen Waverley as a suburb had very good capital growth, 8.1% over this period, so doubling every 9.2 years, something like that on close to right. So very good, much better than a much more salubrious suburb like Brighton, which only did 6.2%. So that was interesting itself. But the Glen Waverley Secondary College School District as a subset of Glen Waverley did 11.1% per annum over that period. So doubling every whatever in seven and a half years. Amazing, okay. So the data science tells you something interesting there. You didn't just get a price premium, you got a growth premium. But, and here's the second part. We just appraised a property for a client inside the Glen Waverley Secondary College School District. And we had to give them the heartbreaking news that that property was now worth 20% less than what they paid for it 10 years ago. Right? You don't buy a suburb, you buy a property. You can guess what the property was. A one bedroom off the plan apartment that they bought for 375 and was now worth 320. 10 years later, when the high land content properties around the corner in the same suburb, in the same school district, you know, had done 11.1% per annum and had doubled in seven years. So, you know, there's a difference between price premiums and growth premiums, and you don't buy a suburb, you buy a property. Um, yeah. It's really heartbreaking. You know, imagine having to, like, we talk about ourselves increasingly, we might have used this phrase as the property doctor. Like, I, I felt like I'm the cancer specialist on that one, right? Like, you just, how do you give someone just terrible news? Like, this is just terrible news. And, and you know, you are the, you know, you are the, I don't want to make light of a serious health issue, but you are saying this is actually terrible news and it's not going to get better. It's really not. Like, um, Right, but 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 some sales agent probably got paid a six percent commission to sell that thing instead of two. Right, some property developer made tons of money on it, and and our mums and dads got resold. And it's just the injustice of that. You know, I, I grew up, you know, poor as shit. Right, like I know what it's like to have to struggle for everything you've got, and to see mums and dads, the injustice of that to me is a real fire in the belly. That's a lot of the reason we're doing what we're doing. At, at Longview, you know, we want the next generation of kids to be able to buy their homes, especially if they don't have the bank and mum and dad to help them. And we want the renters to get a better experience than we've got. And we want the mum and dad property investors to get a fair deal, to get proper advice, to get a good safe investment in a good quality property, or hopefully in our world, multiple properties, a share of multiple properties. Um, and, and I'm sure the other guys will still make enough money that they'll be fine. Thornley's integrity is one of his greatest assets and his value will never decrease. He uses that integrity to help others and to make a positive difference, which is what inspired the name of his company, Longview. You know, there's a reason we called it Longview, right? This is property. It's, it's a long game. And, um, but it's, it's about homes. At the end of the day, residential property, you know, is about homes. And we want everyone to be able to feel like they live in a good home, whether they're an owner uh, the owner of that home where they live or they're the tenant in that home or they're the owner of a home that somebody else lives in. Um, everyone's entitled to live in a place that they can really call home. Thornley has certainly learned most of what he knows from others who knew what they were doing and is the first to acknowledge it. As Mel James' best client for a number of years, I've learned a huge amount about buying well from Mel who's you know one of the, the doyens of the buying advisory profession in Melbourne. Um, 
very grateful to him. He's a lovely guy. Um, so, um, yeah, so, 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 you know, finding the right property mentors, I think, is really critical. But, um, but sometimes those property mentors also, there's folks who have a lot of experience in property and, and who may well have made good money in property. Um, but not all of those people are necessarily the right mentors for, for it. You know, again, it kind of goes back to the situation. So, um, you know, I definitely think, as I say, I think property is a team sport. Um, you need a good uh, mortgage advisor. You know, the number one thing is you've got to buy the right asset. And so, you know, good professional advice uh, based on both experience and data will minimise the chances that you don't buy a good asset and maximise the chances that you do. The second most important thing will be that you finance that property correctly. And so getting uh, good good advice about, you know, what proportion of debt and equity and then getting the best deal on the debt through a good mortgage broker. Um, so I learned a ton actually from a couple of really high quality mortgage brokers. Uh, we, we, we often uh, refer clients who need, need help to, to some of the, the better mortgage brokers in Melbourne. Um, uh, you know, um, Jonathan Klein-Spinks and uh, Bruce Brammel and Phoebe Blamey and a number of other folks, just terrific, you know, small boutique um, mortgage brokers who really care about their clients and really go the extra mile. Incredibly important. Um, uh, so, yeah, somebody who can buy with experience and data, somebody who can give really good uh, advice on mortgage. If you have those two people on your team, then you're off to a flying start. And then, of course, the third thing you need is property management done properly by people who give a... And, you know, literally 95% of the property management businesses in this country are owned by people who don't care about property management. They're owned by your local real estate sales agent. And that's why we started Longview in property management. We just said, how about we run property management for the sake of the landlords and the tenants, not for the sake of getting sales? And... Um, and, you know, there are other fine property managers. We, the great thing about the property management industry is it's so fragmented uh, that I know all the other really great property management firms, um, certainly in Melbourne, a lot of them around the country, we're great admirers of all of them. Felony's integrity and moral code comes into play here as well as he dismisses the idea of competing and instead shares everything he can about his business. I'm not in competition with another property manager in Melbourne. Like we're in the top 10 of property managers in Melbourne. I've got 1.5% market share. So, you know, I'm not going to be competing with, with a, 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 another single firm on any more than one in a hundred properties. So, so I have so much more to learn by, by sharing things with my colleagues. I see them as colleagues more than competitors. And, and I'd say the same about buyer's advisors. You know, I'm spending more and more time. We're going to try and play a bigger role in, in really bringing the buyer's advisory profession together more because we don't compete with each other. Our, our competition is do it yourself. That's the competition that's got 95%, 98% market share is no, 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 I don't know any help buying a property. I know what I'm doing. I've done it before. Um, so, yeah, so th that part of it, I really enjoy. There, there are some really wonderful property management companies right around the country. There's some really wonderful buying advisory firms and, and, and buying professionals. And, and, and I learn the most from talking to my colleagues in the industry and, and try and share everything that we're learning uh, with them as well. If you say you could you know, take a time machine back and meet yourself say 10 years ago, what do you think you would have said to him? Buy solid older dwellings on well-located pieces of land. <laughs> <laughs> 
with the bank's money. Speaking of which, you mentioned, yes, you were buying properties at cash. At what point did you realize you could actually buy with the bank's money? I felt I didn't need it. So why would I do that? Like, I, I, I mean, obviously, I was in a very fortunate position to do that. But I didn't understand leverage. I really didn't understand. Oh, hang on a minute. If I buy a million dollar property with 200 of mine and 800 of theirs, and I buy a good property, which is the key thing, buying good property, one that will double in value in 10 years, not one that won't, then 10 years from now, it's worth 2 million. So that means my equity has gone from 200 to 1.2 and the bank gets their 800 grand back. The moment I understood that, like my life changed. So I've only learned about, you know, what uh, what they call in the trade levered equity returns um, later in life and, and not really understanding the power of leverage. I, I just couldn't understand actually why people invested in property at all because when you look at it on a yield basis, it's a rubbish investment. So for the longest time, I couldn't understand why anyone invested in property because I really didn't understand how leverage works. And... Um, so the, the real aha moment completely for me was when, when, when I actually understood, you know, that all the upside is yours. Um, and so then, of course, the critical question becomes which properties are going to get that capital growth and which ones aren't. Here's the thing, right? Like, I mean, you know, I've run a public company. I was at McKinsey with a whole bunch of Rhodes Scholars. Um, you, you know, I've worked with some of the smartest people in the world. No one had ever told me that. Like... And if no one had told me that, then goodness knows a lot of other people haven't been told that. You know, I only learned really late in life, hey, brother, here's how it works. Land appreciates, buildings depreciate. It's not complicated, right? No one ever told me that, all right? We all get seduced by the real estate sales and property development industry's fascination with beautiful things. Hey, I love beautiful things. Um, you know, I love beautiful cars too, but they're worth 25% less the day you drive it off the new sales lot, right? Like that's just how it works. So, um, yeah, um, if you want beautiful things, have them in your home. Don't buy them as an investment. So, looking forward to the future, what are you most excited about in, I guess, not only just, I guess, for Longview, but for yourself, you know, for the next five years, what are you excited about in your journey as a property investor? It's hard to not be talking my own book. I guess you've, you've heard what, what we hope to do both in shared equity and then in, in creating a large-scale rental fund. So uh, I am super excited about those things. Um, uh, for me personally, I think the great excitement in that is is the impact it has on our clients but also our team. Like we build an incredible team of people here, this incredible culture. It's a real team organisation and it's you know, there's a bit of parental pride, I think, as an entrepreneur in the organisation that you build, in the careers that you help people to have, in seeing them grow and develop and creating opportunities for them. Um, so, you know, that's uh, that that's probably personally a great a great joy for me is building the organisation itself in what Longview is becoming as an organisation, as a place to work. And, and, you know, ultimately we're a service business. And so it turns out to be really simple. There is no path to client satisfaction in a service business that doesn't drive through staff satisfaction first. And the the more you look after your people, the more they will look after the clients and the more they'll look after each other. And, you know, so it's a great joy to build a, a, a good organisation full of caring people and talented people who, who, who are team players because um, it's a fun place for them to work and, and then we do our best work for our clients. And, um, you know, when, when, when you can... When you can see a real transformation in a client's life because you've helped them make better property decisions, that's incredibly rewarding. Thornley has built multi-billion dollar businesses, plural, throughout his career, with Longfield being the latest. He feels as though property is all about fundamentals and the same can be said for business. 
You've got to have a business model that's based in a correct understanding of the underlying economics. Um, uh, when you have that, you tend to come up with a business model that's different to other people's, so then you're differentiated. Um, and then it's all about building a great team and a great culture. And and that's about what I call, I think the key to building great startups is what I, is, is what I call creating gravity. Once you create a bit of gravity in the core, when there's a group of great people, other great people want to join that group of great people. The more great people there are, the more investors want to build, be part of your business. The more that happens, the more the clients love what you're doing, the more the strategic partners do, the more the, the media gets interested in what you do. You, you get that nucleus right, get a small, great team of good people and a great culture, um, and then it'll keep attracting people, money, clients, partners, uh, you know, attention. Um, so th those, those rules, um, but, but you can... You can't do all those things if the underlying premise of the business was not based in, you know, in f correct fundamentals. So, so I think all those things are true um, in every successful business that I've seen, um, and in any successful business I've been privileged to be part of, that's been true. And in every business I've been privileged enough to fail in, that's also been true that we didn't get those things right. Um, usually, that we didn't build the business with a correct understanding of the fundamentals, uh, particularly around the customers and the way they their needs were or, or, or weren't and we weren't close enough to our customers then we 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 had an idea there's something we wanted to do but it wasn't necessarily what customers wanted to do then those businesses failed not all of my startups have been successful a lot of people build a business because it that business does something that they like doing and, and that's cool but that's not the best way to build a business the best way of building a business is to find something where some group of customers has a really pressing need that you can genuinely help them uh, meet and 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 then build the build the company around that. You've achieved a lot, and you've had a lot of success through not only business but also property as well. How much of that is due to skill, intelligence, and hard work, and how much of it is due to luck? I think what is true in property is true in business. If you do the hard work with the correct fundamentals, it's pretty unlikely that you'll do badly. Um, and if you're in a business, and property investing is one of those businesses where as long as you don't do badly, you'll probably do okay or better than okay, then then that hard work will always be justified. When does that turn into like unmitigated blue sky every once in a while? Sometimes that's because you've had some special insight um, and you know, you, or you've done something exceptionally well and that's, that's very rewarding, but it's equally as likely to be due to luck. Um, and and the purpose of doing the hard work on the good fundamentals is if bad luck comes along, you've got a strong enough foundation that you can get through that. You know, we just came into COVID, right? We we just had the Melbourne rental market go through the biggest disruption in a hundred years. Rental vacancy rates went from one point eight percent to six point one percent in six weeks, um, and we have a rental guarantee offer to our clients, which means we guaranteed the rent so that they didn't have to worry about it. Okay. But we did two years of risk planning and had a credit committee that meets every day on every single rental guarantee and we built it the right way and we did hard, hard work on those fundamentals and we done a whole bunch of modelling of what would happen if something crazy happened, not knowing that as it turns out it was just around the corner. And we got through that just fine. But if we hadn't have done that hard work, we would have been wiped out um, by that piece of bad luck as, as many unfortunately other businesses were. Um, and I'm not saying in, in many cases that wasn't their fault. Truly, the, the hard luck was, was so overwhelming with what happened with COVID. But, um, but I think that to me is just a good example of, 
you know, we could have offered a rental guarantee to anyone at any time, um, and it's a great product and people love it. Um, but if we'd done that in a without doing the really hard grinding work that no one saw behind the scenes with the modelling and the credit process and 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 the structuring of, of what we did and the way we kept our systems in place and a whole bunch of other things, um, we we would have lost our shirts uh, on that in 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 COVID and and we didn't and so the hard work stopped the bad luck hurting us um, and then then we're in a position to catch any good luck that comes along. And, and, you know, good luck and bad luck comes along. So if you can mitigate the bad luck and you can catch the good luck, things will work out good. Thank you to Evan Thornley, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you love the show and you're a wholesale investor wanting to learn more about how I got started in alternative investments, where I've been able to use my equity and cash to generate 25 to 30% per annum returns to fast track my passive income goal, then SMS me your name and email address on 048888-3132 to register your interest. Now, in a short space of two years, I've been able to achieve my goal and have tripled my passive income. To find out how, SMS me your name and email address on 04-88-88-31-32. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.